Hey everyone, it's Keith here. Uh, sadly, between the time we recorded this and when I got the opportunity to edit, uh, Jimmy Buffett passed away. Very sad. Tremendous performer who left quite a mark and, and legions of fans. Also, this episode, we didn't have an official third chair with us for the run, but uh, partway towards the end, after we give our scores and all that fun stuff, Kev, a new third chair, is going to sit in and just give his comments. I got Kevin while I was at a family barbecue. So I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, it's Richard Dreyfus, Jimmy Buffett, and Gary Tigerman. A look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, Season 3, Episode 19, starring Richard Dreyfus, Originally aired on May 13th, 1978. It is the penultimate episode of Season 3 of Saturday Night Live. Welcome to SN Hell. My name is Keith. With me, as always, my good buddy, Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello, buddy Keith. How are things? Uh, Pretty good. Nice preamble uh, to our recording about which one of us will die first. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, of course, folks are more than welcome to uh, write in the comments. Which one of us sounds more mortal than the other? Keith smokes more, but I drink. There's a trait. <laughs> yeah, we're at the second last episode of season three. Um, Richard Dreyfus is uh, the host. But before we get into that, there's a few things that have to be uh, brought up. Uh, a new sort of recurring thing we're going to be seeing on this episode as we go. On May 10th, 1978, uh, three days after before this episode, SNL long-standing cast member Keenan Thompson was born. Currently to, has the record for 10 years a cast member and most number of sketches. Keenan is the first person to join the cast who was born after the show had debuted. Um, pretty neat, eh? That is pretty niche. I can't, I can't, his longevity is astounding. Yeah, I didn't, uh, I mean, I, I always liked the guy, but I really, you know, if they had said who's going to be here for 20 plus seasons, Keenan wouldn't have been my pick, although he was quite young when he joined. True. And uh, he doesn't, like, I don't know, like, I don't watch a lot of the modern product, but uh, when I watched it and he was on, he didn't have like any big characters that they rolled mm. out too much. Uh, he, he's a, I, I think his longevity could be attributed to the fact that he's a great utility player. When I think of like characters and impressions, the one that, I mean, he did Cosby, but I also remember he did Al Sharpton a few times. So that's kind of like what sticks out for me from Keenan's early days. Um, now, his, his record has been kind of muddled a little bit um, as Bobby Moynihan and, and Paul Britton are both older than him and were later cast members. So they were older, but born after the show started. So, you know, it's one of these things that, yeah, these guys are the oldest cast members to debut after the show started airing. But I think Keenan's is a more interesting stat. Absolutely. Uh, No, I mean, no disrespect to the other guys, but I mean, he's, he's the king. And now from the cradle to the grave. Just a couple days ago, we heard that Sinead O'Connor passed away. Um, normally, you know, if some 80s star dies, we're, we're not going to note it. But Sinead O'Connor has that tearing up the picture of the Pope incident, which is eternally linked her to Saturday Night Live. Um, it happened on an October 1992 episode. She was singing uh, an acapella version of Bob Marley's War, which is uh, and she had initially implied that it was going to be about 
starving children in Africa and even at the dress rehearsal had uh, held up a picture of a starving child. But I, on the air, she actually changed a few words and tore up a picture of John Paul II. You certainly must remember that. It was all over the news. Linked forever. Uh, I was watching it. I remember seeing it. And it was they, they just faded to black quietly. And yeah, definitely really tanked her career. I, I think I, I do share the sentiment that I, I've been reading a lot online lately. I, I did think it was very brave of her. The uh, state of the Catholic Church in Ireland especially was just a hideous embarrassment. And it was punk rock as shit for her to do that and i i didn't really get it at the time uh, in hindsight i think it was a, a wild radical commendable thing to do in hindsight i i really think how she was treated subsequently is a disgrace uh, I, I think what Joe Pesci said about her is pathetic. Uh, I think Joe Pesci is pathetic. They, she was banned from the show for taking this stance. And and I mean, I get why you're banned from the show for doing this, but like, it's still a thing. I, I, I think Lauren owes her an apology. As a matter of fact, uh, just to clarify, I think Lauren supported her. Lauren is said to have thought she was extremely brave as well. The backlash came from higher up. Well, the backlash came from everywhere, but from what I understand, Lauren was... was not perturbed by that issue at all. That's really glad. I'm glad to hear that. The funny part is, is they were all they were already on guard because Tim Robbins was hosting and he was going to wear a T-shirt that was critical of GE, not not GE Smith, <laughs> General Electric, which which owned uh, General Electric, which owned uh, NBC at the time. So they were kind of on high alert, and then this thing snuck up the side. I'm a little more. And this is not a shot at Sinead at all, because and this issue, like with the church, I, I think it became a bigger news story in the States later with like Cardinal Law. But uh, I mean, that was we knew about this sort of stuff, even in eastern Canada, because of like the Mount Cashel stuff, which goes back, what, 87, 80, 86, something like that. Like that was a big news story for us. I remember Andy Jones was kicked off Codco because he wanted to do a Mount Cashel sketch. Um, or he resigned because they wouldn't let him do it is a better way to put it. But yeah, I mean, Sinead O'Connor comes out, uh, tremendous singer, you know, beautiful voice. She was already going in, seen as the, you know, the weird woman with the bald head. The first question from every idiotic reporter was, hey, why the bald head? You know, she was outspoken. A lot of good things uh, she brought. And it's a shame that we didn't get to see more of her on on that sort of platform what i will say though is to this day the shock people have that other people were upset that she tore up a picture of the pope do you know what i'm saying like i wasn't upset that she was that she poor that she uh, tore up the picture of the pope but i knew my you know my aunts and uncles and old people were going to be pissed and and she knew that but yet some of her supporters were are pretending to be so naive of that that that's that's turned into another bit of obnoxiousness for me oh of course it was good i mean it was like i said it was it was punk as shit she that was uh that was a barn burner of an action and a statement and uh yeah it was i i was young at the time but wow pretty wild i can't even imagine it happening today I missed that episode, too, which is one of the few I missed that year. <laughs> uh, 
Um, another connection. This is very tangential, but uh, you know, uh, the, do you remember the uh, the Sinatra group with Frank Sinatra played by Phil Hartman? Jan Hooks played Sinead O'Connor, and he called her Sinbad O'Connor. Yes, I remember. To this, to this day, I still I, I've actually had to correct myself at one point from saying Sinbad O'Connor. <laughs> <laughs> Great sketch. So thanks for the music, Sinead. Our musical guests tonight are Jimmy Buffett and Gary Tigerman. Uh, we'll get to them when we get to them. So, yeah, uh, Richard Dreyfus is hosting tonight. He had just won an Oscar for The Goodbye Girl, youngest best male actor recipient up to that point, later beaten by uh, Adrian Brody. And, uh, yeah, John Belushi was not overly welcoming to this certain type, these real actor types coming into hosts. And we see a little bit of that during the uh, monologue. But according to Dreyfus, uh, Belushi came into like the rehearsals, the dress rehearsals, as if he was sick. He was bumbling through dress, was wearing a robe, um, pajamas, barely able to speak. Now, whether he was legitimately ill or playing mind games with Dreyfus or on substances or all of the above or some combination of all of the above, we don't know. But uh Belushi was trying to make Dreyfus uncomfortable. And the funny quote that uh, Dreyfus has, uh, it's in the SNL book, I believe. Uh, it didn't bother me. I was just impressed at anyone who could do drugs better than I could. So <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts about Richard Dreyfus, Matthew? I did not see The Goodbye Girl. I've never seen Close Encounters. My my Richard Dreyfus movie is What About Bob, Dr. Leo Marvin, uh, of course, with our own Bill Murray. And I, that's one of my favorite movies. I fucking love What About Bob. And I thought that, that those two were perfectly cast in it. So I, I didn't know a lot about Richard Dreyfus. Mr. Holland's Opus was absolutely not a movie for me. So I just skipped it. And those are the ones that I pull out of the air when I think of Richard Dreyfus. I listened to a podcast called The Rewatchables and they did a What About Bob episode. I listened to it the other night and they talked about how he kind of uh, he really fell into addiction and he kind of disappeared into his cocaine haze for a while there in the 80s before kind of uh, cleaning himself up and clawing back. So good for him. Well, he has had periods of, of yeah addiction. He's also uh, bipolar. He makes an appearance in Stephen Fry's uh, documentary about bipolar. Um, I'm surprised you didn't mention Jaws. Well, yeah, he wasn't Jaws. That's because when I think about Jaws, I think about Roy Scheider. Uh, okay yeah and also uh despite and this is my whenever anybody asks me my horror movie hot take uh it is always that jaws is a bit of a snoozer i don't care for it interesting yeah so you ready to go and jump into this episode here yes please we are at our cold open and it's called paraquat john and gilda play uh two mexican weed farmers harvesting their crop a plane passes overhead and drops a white powder all over them Gilda is delighted because she thinks it's a miracle and it's snowing. John says it's not snow, but it's paraquat, a very lethal, toxic herbicide. Gilda wonders if this means they'll have an early harvest. John says they have to harvest it pretty much right away and sell it to the gringos. We see a map that demonstrates the shipment in various forms going from a donkey from the mountains to Mexico City. 
then a plane um, going from Mexico to the Midwest, where it's hidden in a zucchini shipment uh, sent to Kentucky. One ton went west, where the the, uh, the shipment is stopped. One ton went to Georgia, where it was bought by a black blues musician and brought to New York, where it was passed to a young actor. Black blues musician is Bob Cranshaw, and we see him giving Bill Murray a joint at home base. Bill takes a puff from the J and does live from New York. This was really funny. Uh, the map was great. We do get a little bit more of John uh, and Gilda hamming it up, and then John, of course, beating up Gilda a little bit. I, I loved how the weed wound up in the hands of uh, one of the band members who handed it off to Bill. The map, I think it was like one of these things. It was a magnetic map because you could see the little donkey going, and then you could see the, the plane flying up, and things were falling off the map too, which was – I think unintentionally funny. All things considered, I did really like this cold open. I thought Gilda was hilarious. Her her mannerisms and her voice. Uh, she and I, I also really laughed at how gentle Belushi was with a couple of his slaps. <laughs> like he was, he's, a couple of them, he, he was really just being quite reserved. Uh, yeah, the map was funny. I, I cracked up when the things were falling off it. Uh, but you know, I was also done with it when it was done. I I, uh, I think it was timed well. And it was one of those ones that kind of left me thinking, you know, like Bill Murray asking, like, hey, this stuff is OK, right? We've come such a long way with our understanding of uh, substances and drugs and things. And uh, to, to the surprise of no one, I'm one of these people that really thinks that uh, we shouldn't demonize drugs because a better understanding of them and their source and responsible use will save lives it's a shame that we are still fighting that battle, but Hey, uh, we, we, we got through it with weed and, uh, I, I guess I think mushrooms are next. They're really, I can order mushrooms in the mail now. It's pretty great. Yeah. We now go to the intro. Only thing on the intro is, and I'm, I'm really excited to see father Guido Sarducci mentioned. We're now off to the monologue. Richard Dreyfus comes to home base. He's dressed in an Elizabethan Shakespearean style garb and he's carrying his recently won Oscar. He says he feels really stupid. He wanted to come out as himself, but a certain member of the cast has pushed him into proving that he actually deserved his Oscar win instead of Richard Burton, who was up for playing a role in Equus. Um, A lot of people thought uh, Burton was going to be the winner, and it was one of these things where it was the established star versus the new kid. The new kid come up on top. Dreyfus takes uh, on Belushi's challenge and decides he's going to do some Hamlet for his monologue. The lights change and Dreyfus goes into the Hamlet soliloquy, the to be or not to be. Dreyfus slows down a bit and takes a brief pause. And Belushi thinks Dreyfus forgot his lines or lost his place at the cue cards. They discuss the significance of silence and pauses and whether or not Dreyfus actually was using the cue cards or ever uses cue cards. Belushi turns it into a bit where Dreyfus is looking down on TV actors and it eventually goes into a Belushi rant. Belushi winds up stabbing Dreyfus and says he didn't deserve the Oscar. Belushi then leaves with with, uh, Dreyfus's Oscar. Dreyfus rips off the wig and sadly says he doesn't want to do this anymore. I'm glad they actually put some work into the monologues. They've been really kind of slack on these for a while and phoning them in for a bit. Similar to the Garfunkel one where an actor or a singer is doing their thing and Belushi comes out and uh, and gives them shit. It was a couple of months ago in, I guess, real time. We've seen it only a couple of weeks ago. Pretty good monologue. 
Belushi and Dreyfus uh, worked well together, despite the fact that I don't think Belushi was was overly impressed with Dreyfus. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't. Well, the one thing I my big takeaway from it is that it looked like Richard Dreyfus was having a really good time. Uh, a lot of the times, his chuckles and his smiles just looked really sincere. And I did think they had a good chemistry. And you're right. The monologues have been lazy shit uh, for a bit. So this was a nice change. Costume looked good. The spotlight effect was nice. Dreyfus was great. Uh, Belushi served his purpose overall uh yeah i thought it was i thought it was pretty okay i didn't really laugh uh, per se but uh i mean it was fine it was pleasant watch they say belushi was sort of more highbrow in real life than he presented himself on tv but i love the thought of like belushi being a huge fan of richard burton and hamlet and stuff it just doesn't seem right <laughs> that is pretty funny <laughs> we now go to cone encounters of the third kind richard dreyfus plays his uh, reprising his role as rainieri from the film close encounters he's in a, a shack and he's upset that the mound he's building the quote what we call the mashed potato mound is not right bill murray's on the television doing his walter cronkite title card comes up crowd already knows where this is going because it's called the cone encounters of the third kind and the crowd really pops hard. The phone rings and uh, Dreyfus is starting to go a little crazy when Beldar shows up on the screen in an ad for his driving school. We see that Dreyfus is trying to make his mound the same shape as uh, Beldar's cone. We then cut to Primat and Connie who are watching the commercial on the ion bombardment tube. Uh, they congratulate Beldar. But Breldar said he's stressed because the High Master is on his way. Everyone gets quite worried. Dreyfus comes and rings the doorbell and says there's something important about the Coneheads and he just has to see them. The camera shakes, signifying the arrival of the High Master, and we get a shot of a model spaceship over a toy house floating, and this gets great applause. We now see Garrett returning as Murkon and Belushi returning as Kudroth, who you absolutely despised last time we saw them uh and belushi immediately sizes up connie uh, as as the leader of the coneheads who may have been pre or who connie may have been pre-promised to dreyfus figures out that the coneheads and company are all aliens belushi wonders if dreyfus is the leader of the un beldar says he's just the supreme refueling attendant for the protoid station earth dreyfus then agrees to return to remulac and we get a nice shot of the stagehands lifting the toy, sh the model ship away from the toy house. And it looked a lot bigger than that. This was really good. It was a nice tie-in with the movie, which had, you know, only a couple of years old at that point. Some really funny bits. For me, it was way better than the other Coneheads that featured Belushi. And, and maybe slightly better than the last Coneheads we've seen. It was fun to see the, the characters repeated. Not so heavy-handed, maybe. Um, the use of language this time was pretty stellar. You know, the use of the little goofy technical stuff was good as well. I can't say this is a top tier cone head, but the, the bar, that's a pretty, you know, pretty high bar to reach anyway. Really enjoyed how they tied in Close Encounter. This is a natural marriage. And uh, having seen Close Encounters a number of years ago, I haven't seen it recently. I'm sure for folks that uh, were familiar with the film as recently as they are, there's probably a lot more there that I just didn't get. Yeah, and I mean, I haven't seen it at all. Uh, a couple of things that, uh, yeah, it was, Belushi was much better than he was uh, in his previous, excuse me, in his previous Conehead outing. Uh, I really liked the phrase ion bombardment tube uh, that got a good laugh out of me. The fact that Beldar would be on a commercial 
for his driving school was super absurd to me. Like, no attempt at keeping a low profile as you slowly plan to conquer the Earth. Just go ahead and put yourself on TV, pay for that local airtime. Uh, <laughs> your cone appears larger on the Ion tube. I thought that was a really nice line. And I don't know what it is. Jane's I hate housework apron always makes me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> There's something so strange about seeing her in it. The chemistry the three of them have, Lorraine, Jane, and Dan as the family, is absolutely terrific. Yeah. And I like that Lorraine, being the youngest, clearly the most human. I, I, I'm still not a big fan of the Belushi Conehead, don't get me wrong. Uh, no. I thought uh, Dreyfus's voice when he kind of slipped into Conehead voice and was like, wait a minute, what am I doing? <laughs> that was pretty funny. So yeah, over, I, I pretty much agree with your assessment, I guess. Uh, it, it's uh, It's been better, it's been worse, but I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, and this is the end for, for uh, Kaldroth and Murkon. Um, we don't see them again uh, after this episode, so... You know, I'm glad he was better, but, I'm, you know, you don't need the extra dressing. You know what I mean? Totally. The, the three of those are uh, three of those actors are more than capable of handling it. They all nail it every time. We're now off to our musical guest, Jimmy Buffett. Before I get into that, uh, Richard Dreyfus is doing the intro for Jimmy Buffett, and he thinks he's hearing a strange noise somewhere. Just kind of lets it go and then introduces Jimmy Buffett. Buffett is uh, Mississippi-born, but best known for his association with, like, Key West, Florida, and that whole area. Uh, Laid-back, easygoing beach lover. Kind of plays a sort of fusion between, I guess, Southern rock and Caribbean music. Buffett has a very devoted fan base, of course, known as Parrotheads. Son of a Sailor was Jimmy Buffett's eighth studio album. It was released after 1977's Changes in Latitude, which had uh, Margaritaville on it. Son of a Sailor, the album, peaked at number 10 on the U.S. Billboard Top 200, but I don't think this single actually charted anywhere. He's performing on a beach, and he had recently broken his leg, so it's actually propped up on a boat. Here's the thing. I mean, I'm not a huge Jimmy Buffett fan. Um, I certainly hear Margaritaville a lot um, and have probably heard covers of Margaritaville more than I've actually heard Jimmy Buffett's version. That being said, I do, I've always liked his his vibe. I like you know, the, the the passion his fans have. One thing I've always thought about Jimmy Buffett when I've seen, you know, clips of him doing what he does is he looks like he's doing exactly what he wants to be doing and what he should be doing. He just seems like a, a happy dude. Um, so as far as Son of a Sailor, I like the song, like the performance. Uh, you know, I really like how they're incorporating sets for the musical acts. You know, I did enjoy this, and I was kind of disappointed that this is all we get from Jimmy Buffett this time. I didn't. Uh, yeah, it's definitely not for me. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad we didn't have to sit through Margaritaville. I hate Margaritaville. Um, and I also, but I do really like when the songs have a unique set. Uh, do something with the stage. Do something fun. I think it's more common nowadays. But uh, I do always appreciate it when it happens and respect to performing with a broken leg. Um, it's, you know, the whole band, the, the whole the, the look of everyone. It's it, like everybody looks like they're on the credits for a generic comedy in 1978. Uh, I did think the song was a little boring, but uh, but that's just me. We now go to Sex Test. It's Richard Dreyfus as himself hosting a television show called Sex Test. It's a sexual education TV show. Parental guidance is uh, suggested, but if the kids are taken out of the room, they'll turn out as screwed up as the parents are. 
Dreyfus goes through a series of quizzes, such as how many times should couples have sex based on the amount of time they've been married. And the answer, is, he gives different a- options. Um, the answers say that uh, it should be based on the number of years you are married. He then throws to Dr. Candace Brightman of UCLA, played by Lorraine, who says it's normal for a man not to care about a woman's pleasure as long as he drains the lizard and goes out and buys the woman a nice gift. We also hear from Dr. Judd Quinston of Penthouse, that's Bill, talking about women's climaxes. If he underperforms, he will go out and buy a girl a nice gift. Dr. Francis Shoes, played by Gilda, um, from the Yerkes Primate Research Center, talks about a man post-climax and how he will sleep. A woman is permitted to call a man a selfish pork face to make him then go out and buy her a nice gift. Garrett comes in and talks as a certified sex therapist about how the genitalia was discovered by George Washington Carver. Each of these appearances are after a, a different multiple choice question. Um, my favorite is the last one. What is the plural of coitus interruptus? Very funny. Uh, the correct answer is twins. I thought this sketch was excellently done. Dreyfus was awesome on the delivery. The quick bits from the other players were really, really funny. Uh, the look of Bill Murray actually cracked me up. The sketch probably falls a tad flat because this sort of thing is all over TV today. Certainly wasn't then. And judging by the audience reaction, you know, they have never seen anything like this ever. Um, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed this. It foreshadows the kind of shows we're going to see coming uh, down the line. And uh, yeah, I just thought Dreyfus was fantastic and, and the players were great. Everybody was really good. Uh, this falls into a category that I don't really care for personally. That the show does sometimes, and I've referenced it a few times, I think exclusively this season, but it's Playboy magazine humor. And it is... Uh, I don't know. There's something just kind of like blech-y about it. Uh, I thought Lorraine in particular was very good at her character. Mm. And I mean, everybody was really good. It, it's hard to put myself back in the time when this would have been shocking and interesting. Uh, and I did like the line, uh, the option, can I get you anything else? Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Uh, but otherwise, it was a little too Playboy magazine for me uh, with the, the style of comedy it was. I don't know. I, something tells me it was breakthrough TV, um, but it was really well done. We're now off to a Chiron, and this woman shouts obscenities at her houseplants. I'm sure she's not the only one out there. We're off to Weekend Update, and this one is brought to you by Kierkegaard. It's the deodorant for sweaty Danish philosophers. Jane begins the broadcast by responding to mail that says she has not been professional when dealing with the likes of John, Emily, and uh, Roseanne, Rosanna Dana. She says she's under a lot of stress. Her mother has Legionnaire's disease, and she promises to maintain her professionalism. Dan says he's sorry to hear about her mother, but he figured she was just testy because she's going through menopause. We now go into the story. It's just a few that jumped out for me. Uh, McDonald's thickening agent in sauce is causing a lot of ailments. And uh, McDonald's says, responds by saying, we do it all for you. AMC cars are recalled due to faulty ecological parts. These parts are then bought by slumlords for air conditioning and low rent housing. There's a bit about metric money that Dan does. It's just reminding me a little too much of the Decabet from previous seasons. Bill Murray reviews his Oscar predictions, and he says he did pretty poorly. He's glad Woody Allen won, but he's disappointed that Richard Dreyfus won. Um, he's asked for a clip of Richard Burton in Equus. Instead, they send a clip from the Goodbye Girl, only it's Belushi doing his uh, Richard Dreyfus impersonation, with Gilda filling in in the Marsha Mason, Mason role. Bill says Dreyfus is doing all the same bits and he's getting uh, fat and he has to get in shape or quit the business. 
He then gives Jane a, a friendly noogie. There's a bit about uh, a Mexican demonstration with a photo op of a cop holding a man by the jaw that people did not like the joke. And we then go on to hear from Roseanne, Rosanna Dana. She talks about UFOs. It turns into a bit where she says she saw the world's largest buttocks. And then she noticed that uh, Jane is not in a good mood. She tells Jane that she has uh, something in her eye and a bit of a mustache. Jane holds it together as long as she can. And when she's asked if her breasts are the same size, she she rips open her shirt and tells Rodana to check for herself. Jane immediately feels bad for doing this. Uh, Roseanne says she thought Jane was uh, bigger. And then we have our good night. And I think Roseanne says good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Not a bad weekend update. Uh, I thought, you know, the through line of Jane, knowing that she's going to freak out about Roseanne, but also not wanting to do it made Roseanne's bit a lot stronger. Some good jokes in here, but there weren't many. Not much from Dan at all. Bill's was a bit longer than usual. Uh, certainly Belushi does a good impression of Dreyfus. Yeah, I, I this was for this season, this was not a bad weekend update, but there's just not much there. Yeah, not much at all. I noticed that Dan was just, Dan might as well not even be there. I don't know why he's there. I usually like Bill's bit a little more. I found that this time, I don't know, there was something... It's so hit and miss with me because I like his character and I like the shtick, but sometimes it just lacks substance. And uh, I felt that was one of those times I didn't see the goodbye girl. That that whole thing is lost on me. And uh, so I didn't really find that parody particularly interesting. But this was my favorite appearance of Roseanne, Rosanna Dana to date. And uh, I really liked the bit with Jane freaking out and her kind of covering for her uh, to say goodnight and have a pleasant tomorrow. That was my favorite bit of it. Otherwise, it was just kind of the usual weekend update slog for me. We're now off to Nick Springs, this one written by Bill, uh, Dan Aykroyd, Marilyn Miller, Paul Schaefer, Tom Davis. This one's kind of a, a company thing. Um, a lot of folks work on this one. So we have Nick. He's in a, a, a very ghastly pink suit. He approaches Gilda and John, who are playing the Schaumers. They've been married for two days, and they both have calamine lotion on their faces because they did some sunbathing in poison ivy. Bill or Nick then sings poison ivy to them. He then goes over to Richard Dreyfus playing Jeff Greenspoon and a Mrs. Leibowitz, uh, Lorraine, the wife of a man who was injured earlier but still is out enjoying some time with Jeff. Bill says Greenspoon is the guy who booked him for the resort. <laughs> he then says that uh, Jeff is a Jew, but he's always been fair with him and jumps into a Nick version of Hava Nagila. He gets a, I think he's getting a laugh from Dreyfus and Lorraine here. It doesn't it looks like they might be fighting it or maybe they're just enjoying themselves. Dan then enters this is Jimmy Joe Red Sky who found a dead squirrel in the pool filter and you can't become you can't go swimming because he had to put some extra chlorine in the pool. Nick then goes in and does his own version of the theme from Close Encounters. All things considered, this was a very snappy, well-together Nick sketch. The costume was great. They went right into the jokes and got out. There wasn't much lingering, which can sometimes be the issue with these Nick sketches. Uh, Bill, I thought, was extra goofy. And, uh, yeah, this might be my favorite Nick the Lounge singer so far. What a terrific showcase for Bill Murray. He killed it. Uh, I love the suit. I love the energy. And uh, I love the character. He plays these schmaltzy, schmarmy 
characters so well. Uh, he's got the voice for it, the look for it. And I, I really like that Richard and Lorraine didn't want to talk to him at all. And Dan was pretty funny, but just kind of an afterthought. I was just enjoying Bill Murray. I couldn't take my eyes off him. I thought this was a, a really great sketch. Am I right that it was implied that Lorraine was like sleeping on her injured husband? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were definitely they were like, oh, my God, please don't talk to us. Don't draw attention to us. They're having an affair. Yes. OK. All right. I just wasn't totally sure. <laughs> we are now off to pet peeves. This was, uh, I think, written by Marilyn M- Miller. Um, it sure seems like it. Dreyfus and Lorraine play a couple that come home from an event, um, and he was ranting about the pimentos and the olives. He wants to watch TV, but it's an odd couple rerun. He's going to watch it even though he hates it. He turns on the TV, and Lorraine turns it off and wonders why he watches it, and he said because it's good. Uh, she hates the term good, and she he hates how she's the type of person who would dot her eyes with a circle. She denies that she ever did it. He's pretty sure she used to. He really gets annoyed by her being adorable and says uh, she has a lot of latent adorability. He enjoys food like potato chips, even though she thinks they're poison. She says he thinks he's very rigid, and uh, every name in his address book has to be done in the same pen. He thinks of himself as Mr. Goodsense. They talk about kissing and foreplay. She says he opens his mouth too far when they kiss. He thinks her techniques are boring. She once tried some things in the bedroom, and they didn't work. He needs to digest what she is saying. They sit down, think it over. When they realize there's nothing good is on, they go into the bedroom. I thought this was a really strong Miller sketch, and it's one of the ones that definitely has some stronger acting, although they've all been quite good. Dreyfus, perfect for this piece. Lorraine held her own on this one. This is really in tune with the type of comedy that was coming out at the time. This is like a kind of the Woody Allen goodbye girl stuff. It, it fits in quite nicely with it. But because it's short form, it actually probably holds up better for me than, than some of them, you know, 70s talky romantic comedies. All things considered, I thought this was uh, very, very strong. Again... With the Miller stuff, you don't get the big belly laughs, but really liked it. I really liked it too. Yeah, not a, no big belly laughs. And holy shit, Lorraine could have been in pictures. She absolutely could have been on uh, the big screen. I thought she was terrific in this, uh, to the point where a couple of the times she said something to him, and I was like, "You bitch!" Uh, like I, I found myself very immersed uh, in them and their argument, which is a testament to you know both the players. And the writing itself reminded me a little bit of that Gilda Chevy in bed sketch where it's just, you know, it's some very adult conversation and uh, but it really pulls you in. I, I, I was pulled the hell in. And I really liked it for the duration. I never once thought it was too long or boring. I was engaged. I appreciated the looks at TV Guide. Yeah, I, I was through it the whole way. I, I both thought I thought they both did fantastic. Really, really well done. We're now off to the David Suskind show. Bill plays David Suskind. In in a weird way, he kind of looks eerily similar to him. This is the Mother's Day special with men and their mothers. So we have Lorraine and John as uh, Henry Kissinger and his mother, Chi-Chi. Tom Snyder and his mother, Emma Lou, played by Dan and Jane. And Leon Spinks and Toots, uh, played by Garrett and Gilda. Toots, Spinks, I suppose. All three mothers look, act, and sound exactly like their sons. Chi-Chi still treats Henry as a baby. Leon and Toots really get into boxing. The story of this sketch is is Tom and Emma Lou Snyder. 
Uh, Dan starts to tell Suskind how great he's doing, but he's interrupted by his mother, who does exactly what he does, smokes the same cigarettes, has the same hair. Tom asks uh, his mother if she's ever been with someone other than his father. Jane gives a Tom Snyder-like answer. When asked about siblings, Toots says Leon sib Leon siblings bail him out of jail. Henry was the best looking of the kids, and Tom was an only child. Funny sketch. Uh, definitely some problems with this. I mean, this, like I said, the story of this is Jane as Tom Snyder's mother. She walked away with this whole thing, and that's pretty darn good when you consider what she was up there with. It was a rare glimpse of the whole cast together in a sketch. Always awesome to see, especially when they're all participating, uh, you know, as, as much as they were. It's a nice ensemble piece. Considering what this was and who was up there, other than like Jane and Tom, I didn't get much humor out of this. It was kind of like, Jane talks, Dan talks, I laugh, and then I just wait for everyone else to, to do their bit. Um, really disappointing considering the highlights. Great highlights, though. Uh, as they introduced mother after mother, I got a bigger laugh with each one. And Gilda looking directly into the camera with that weird sneer slash leer. Uh, I, I thought that was really funny. Uh, I liked the Kissinger stuff the least. And uh, I thought the Sphinxes were okay. But holy shit, you're right. Jane and Dan, I wish they had that kind of chemistry on update. I guess they do in point counterpoint sometimes, but they were phenomenal together. And Jane killed it as uh, his mom. I I was blown away. I I couldn't believe how well she did. And it's I mean, I know you're you're absolutely right. There's problems with the sketch and it's not a home run. But I was so impressed by uh, her doing Tom's mom. I just forgot about everything else. Yeah. Yeah. This is the last uh, we see of Henry Kissinger after what feels like a million appearances. Also, the last we see of Leon Spinks and uh, and their mothers are gone, too. But uh, good news is we do get to see (laughs) Emma Lou Snyder again down the line. Oh, sweet. (laughs) (laughs) We're now off to uh, Gary Tigerman. Richard again hears something and looks around uh, and then sort of, nah, uh, brushes it off. Tigerman, child and teen actor, musician, uh, imprisoned after trying to get objector status during Vietnam. He got into uh, songwriting later later became a um, novelist um he does i think it's white waxican moon i don't know if i'm saying that right this was very easy listening so easy i almost fell asleep uh very slow paced laid back music uh i mean i'm not going to deny the talent but my goodness this is another one of them ones that i i you know i wish there was some pep there if i was watching this at the time it aired i might have nodded off Oh, yeah, you totally would have nodded off. Imagine what time of the night this originally airs. Yeah, I would have been out trying to make it through this song. Uh, I've never heard of this Tiger Man, and I uh, am not familiar with his work. I I, I shan't become familiar based on this performance. It was absolutely too sleepy for me. I wonder if falling asleep, if a Nielsen family falls asleep with their TV on NBC, in 1978 does nbc get like ratings bump for the rest of the night you know i bet i bet they count it yeah i wonder yeah we're now off to father guido sarducci who is the rock critic and gossip columnist for the vatican newspaper father guido is of course played by recently hired writer uh, don novello uh, novello joined the writing staff in january same time as brian doyle murray And he goes on to make a lot of appearances on this show over many, many years. 
um, and already has as himself. He's responsible for the Olympia Cafe sketches, among other. Uh, Novella comes out full costume, and now he's on crutches because he broke his hip doing that hockey sketch with the Michael Sarazen episode. Father Guido, the character, it predates the show by by about by a number of years. Um, and he found most of these this costume that goes on to make him some good money. He found it at a Salvation Army store for $7.50. He'd already appeared on shows like Smothers Brothers and Laughing. Really well-liked character that often just his appearance riled up the church. He never really tackles the church. He never really goes after it. Teases the hypocrisy, the uh, hierarchy and stuff like that. But never, you know, just the general bullshit that happens with any organized group. Um, but because he did it as a as as a priest, he was kind of flagged. So without getting into this sketch, Matt, are you familiar with the character Father Guido? No, not so much. No, I know who he is, but that's yeah. really about it. I'm not familiar with the the shtick per se. Yeah, I, I adore it. I mean, I grew up buried in Catholicism, steeped in it. So there's a there's a lot in there I get a kick out of. So Father Guido comes out with the crutches, saying he was injured in a motorcycle accident when he was hit by a nun on a Vespa. He was translating a new ordinance that the Pope was working on called Vita El Lesborum, Life as a Job. He talks about Jesus' younger brother, Billy, who was a stepbrother and uh, appears in a couple of paintings. One where you can see Jesus walking across the water. There's a guy under the water actually carrying Jesus. Part of his snorkel can be seen, but it looks like a leaf. He then sort of scoffs off that Jesus couldn't actually walk on water. He says life is his job, and people are actually getting $14.50 a day, and that that adds up. When you die, the soul goes up, and you go down this big, long tunnel where you see your whole life, and then you get paid. Uh, You get fined for sins like stealing cars and uh, murder. And uh, if you don't have enough money to pay for your sins, uh, you are then reincarnated. And some people, like the mafia guys, have to go back and be nuns in their second time around. Big, big fan of Father Guido. Um, We'll go on to see him a lot on Update. Um, I like his silly looks at faith and religion. I thought this was excellent. This is uh, my really my first introduction to the character, I suppose. Uh, like I'm, I wasn't familiar. I knew again, I knew who he was, but I, I didn't really know the the material or anything like that. And I liked it okay. He is definitely not Richard Dreyfus's spiritual advisor in any way, shape, or form. I think they play for different teams. I did enjoy it. He's he's really good at it. It's a lot more subdued than I thought it was going to be. And I think I came in with an expectation that it wasn't going to be so casual and subdued. And I think that threw me for a bit of a loop uh, when it didn't like amp up into something like really too zany or too over the top. Uh, So this was probably worth a second watch for me because I was also raised fucking catholic as shit I, I would give this one a second watch simply because i think i had the wrong expectations going into it and i definitely heard some funny jokes that i liked but i didn't know what to expect and it wasn't this so i enjoyed it what do you think of the vatican newspaper having a rock critic <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty great yeah <laughs> uh, i can i can tell there's something there and there's obviously something there i, I will give this one a rewatch, and uh I'll, I'll comment maybe on our uh on our season ending recap stuff. Yeah, we'll get to see Father Guido like a lot. I think he goes all the way through to 85 at different times, you know, pops in here and there. We now hear uh, Richard Dreyfus playing Seduced. Tin Pan Alley song actually written by Gary Tigerman and later reco- re- 
later recorded by others. I know Leon Redbone does a recording. Dreyfus says he's never sang in public before, and he's basically just sitting on top of a piano that's being played by Paul Schaefer. I mean, Tin Pan Alley, I thought Richard Dreyfus did well. I really enjoyed this. It was kind of a, a whimsical bit. I don't usually like, you know, I don't usually like your non-singing hosts doing a tune, but I thought he did really well. Uh, not sure I'd dig it if it was like a musical guest doing this, but uh, well done, Richard. Especially if it's your first time singing in public. I mean, that's, that's a little suspect to me, but I mean, maybe. I don't have any video or audio evidence of him singing before <laughs> before <laughs> this particular uh, thing. And uh, I don't know. I'll ask him. I'll send him a text. But uh, I mean, I thought it was fine. It's very late in the show kind of stuff. And I really think the fact that I didn't hate it, because I hate this with when somebody else, if somebody else is doing it, like I can think of a variety of previous hosts that I would not want to see do this and that it would just be a tedious chore. So I think it's uh, what what I'm really getting out of this episode is that I think I might just like Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, Broderick Crawford was not climbing up on that piano. <laughs> What's his face? The robot man. Oh, Jack. Oh, Jack. Jack uh, Burns. He would have been up there in a heartbeat. <laughs> We're now at the Good Nights. We find out what uh, Dreyfus thinks he's been hearing all night. It's the land shark comes up and uh, and eats him. Nice reference to Jaws, which inspired the whole thing. I'm a little miffed that it wasn't Chevy in that head. I think it was actually Gilda. But uh, I'm sure they tried to get Chevy and, and couldn't, or maybe they didn't. Dan comes right down front, uh, right center stage uh, with a shirt saying, don't buy books by crooks, uh, which he really flashes at the screen. This is in response to Nixon's uh, biography being released. Anything at the good nights? What do you think of the land shark being there, Matt? Uh, I, I wish it was Chevy. Too. Chevy is so tall that it really sells the shark as a menace. Like, Chevy's yeah. like six something. For such a large man, I really think it sells the shark. And um, so let's uh, let's rate this thing and, and, and put Richard Dreyfus to bed. So the host, I thought Richard Dreyfus was absolutely excellent. Really bummed that he never comes back. I mean, he's still living, but they don't typically get guys like that to come back to do a show like this. I thought he showed a ton of range. Really funny. There were bits where, you know, he was making fun of himself or he let them make fun of him and he just rolled with it. He was either naturally very good at this or worked really, really hard. You know, in an, in a different world, there's a sketch show from the 70s that Richard Dreyfus was a member of the cast and not a bad member of the cast. And, and, and you know, one of these top sketch performers, he, he really brought it all tonight. And I thought... He was a fantastic host. Like, I was really blown away by it. No disagreement. Completely shocked about how much I liked him. Did not enter the show thinking. I was like, Richard Dreyfus. Okay, I guess. I thought it was going to be just some kind of like Hollywood, boring, detached performance. He seemed game for everything. Uh, he seemed like he was having a really good time a couple of times. I, I saw joy in his eyes. <laughs> I'm yeah. convinced I saw joy in the eyes of Richard Dreyfus while he was doing the show. So I think he had fun. I think that translates on screen. I watched him had fun. I had fun. Could not believe how much I actually liked him. I found him very charming, very funny, obviously an extremely talented actor. Great job. One of my favorite hosts of the season, Keith. Yeah, yeah, no question. 
Uh, the music. Jimmy Buffett was all in. Can't help but like him. Uh, there's something about someone who's obviously having as much fun as Buffett is. Further to your point about Dreyfus, that uh, yeah, you kind of you kind of get into it. I didn't love the song. Certainly don't hate it. But there is a strange charisma to this guy that I can see why people, you know, follow him around the Florida Keys for several months of the year. Definitely would have liked a second one. Uh, Gary Tigerman's performance was forgettable. Really low energy for me. That being said, though, I really like the song Dreyfus, and uh, kudos to Tigerman for that. This uh, this episode was a non-entity for me music-wise. Jimmy Buffett seems like a nice fella. It'd be nice to have a margarita with him, perhaps, as long as we don't uh, talk about that song. Uh, and the, uh, the Tiger Man was... Definitely not for me. So poorly placed in the show, too. Uh, so, yeah, this is one of those episodes where I, I'm really checked out on the music, unfortunately. Matt, what was the worst sketch of the night? Oh, I need a minute. Uh, what was the worst sketch of the night for me? You know what? I liked this episode. So I, I need to sit yeah. on this for a second. Whew, I guess it was hard the- for me. It was hard for me. I believe we want to count it as a sketch, but I guess Dreyfus singing at the end. Okay. Yeah. didn't really do anything for me. It was just kind of there. It felt a little fillery. And I didn't hate it. He's charming. Um, you know what? I'm going to walk it back. Let me walk okay. it back and do something. Because you know what? I'm like you. I like to play by a, a pretty strict set of rules. When I pick like my favorite performer of the show... I make sure I pick a not ready for primetime player. And I know you generally do, but every once in a while, uh, there's an exception where you slip off. I I think the show tonight was pretty much on cruise control for most of the episode. So I really want to say my least favorite sketch of the night was weekend update. Okay. Yeah. I try to, uh, I try to avoid update monologue cold open. If I can, I certainly haven't been able to every time. This time for me, though, for worst, I went with David, the David Susskind show. It sounds really strange to say this is because one of the best things I saw this year was was Jane as uh, as Tom Snyder's mother. But the rest of it just didn't work for me. Like if they took Jane and Dan out of that sketch, it would have been a complete flop for me. Um, And everything else, Matt, like you said, so strong. What was the best of the night? My favorite sketch of the night. This is a tough one for me. If I may think out loud for a moment, because it's between two, because I always like a good conehead sketch, but I really liked, you know what? I'm going to put it aside and I'm going to take my, as my sketch of the night, the uh, Richard Dreyfus and Lorraine Newman playing the bickering couple. Oh, neat. That is something I think the, that we, we, it, 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 uh, What's the word I'm looking for? It transcended the show, the sketch comedy show. I felt like that when I was watching a mini one-act play there. I thought they Mm -hmm. both were amazing in it. And it was almost, it was so real that I felt it. And it sometimes was agitated with both of them for what they said to the other person. (laughs) And it it was, uh, I was so immersed in it and there was not a lot of laughs. But I think it's important to recognize when the show be a good performances and good writing is able to transcend itself and i i think it did with this sketch richard and lorraine were brilliant in this and i thought it was absolutely. a home run yeah absolutely that was my actually my second pick i actually i had to go with sex test um even though it you know it definitely has much less edge today than it would have at the time this was a lot of fun i mean richard dreyfus was excellently on point with his delivery um his fast 
uh, repartee, I guess. And then the little bits from Lorraine, Bill, Gilda, and Garrett were really fun as well. This was, I really enjoyed this. Thought it was pretty great and, and definitely edgy at the time. So who's your star of the night, Matt? Despite not being in my favorite sketch of the night, my star of the night is Jane Curtin. I thought she was terrific in Weekend Update. She usually is. But the whole bit with her, like, trying to be cool at the start and then losing it at the end was great. I think she is my favorite conehead. I know that her wearing that apron is not on Jane per se, but something about (laughs) her wearing it just makes me laugh. And... For Tom Snyder's mom, uh, uh, that was just remarkable. Never yeah. expected that from her. Super <laughs> out of left field. Blew me away. Jane, for me, also a star of the night. Oh, yeah, you. Uh, you yeah. go on. Jane. Jane, for me, all the reasons you said, um, uh, I will say this was also another night where a lot of people were on fire and really, really good. Jane was heads and shoulders above everyone else tonight, I think. So, overall... This was something of a surprise for me. Expected to be maybe a little more boring or something, but uh, Richard Dreyfuss, I really shouldn't have thought that because I usually like him in in films. And he he just was an excellent host all around. Buffett was good too. Tigerman, too low energy, but redeemed himself slightly with that seduced song. Cast were in fine form, and it was nice to see how well things were spread around. It's weird. In an odd way, I noticed in this episode, Lorraine was a little more straight-laced than usual, and, and Jane was sort of sowing her crazy oats. Um, they, they pushed some envelopes here further than they normally do, and they did it to great success. You know, adult material went over well here, and a lot of the, um, you know, the meaner, colder-edge stuff seemed to fall flat, especially during Weekend Update. But this was still silly. I mean, this was still really good. You know, mothers being clones of their sons, the coneheads being there, Father Guido's always welcome. And it was smart where it had to be smart. I just, all things considered, I thought this was a very, very strong episode that a lot of people are are sort of sleeping on when they talk about the the greats from the... uh, from the early days. Out of 10, I went and gave this one an 8. Good score. I yeah. thought, uh, you know, if I may do my usual think aloud business, I the cold open was fine. It was nice and quick. The monologue was cute. Richard Dreyfus was an excellent host. So much better than I ever expected. Weekend Update was still a bit of a slog, but it did have a nice ending. The music was not for me. But I found for the most part, the, the strength was there in the sketches. They were trying some things. And it's really to fault this episode is to dissect it on a granular level that I really think is unfair. Uh, I really enjoyed watching it start to finish. And other than the music, I was never bored or checked out. 7.5 for me. And I'm here with Kevin. We're just going to go through and get these scores. Unfortunately, our third chair uh, was unavailable at the last minute, but uh, Kevin was nice enough to swing in and uh, make it a complete three. So how you doing, Kevin? I'm doing fine. I'm doing just great. How about yourself? Not bad. Not bad at all. So just to get your uh, your overall thoughts on everything, Kevin, to get your scores and your award winners so we can have a, a full slate for tonight, uh, what did you think of Dreyfus as a host for Saturday Night Live? He wasn't too bad. I think there was I – didn't, I didn't find the episode too funny as a whole. Um, and I think maybe, like, they – they tried to play a little bit more to his strengths as more of a dramatic actor. So I found most of what he did 
wasn't funny, like even for the uh, Coneheads sketch, where I'm sure they tried to keep that as funny as possible, but he was just still a complete straight man with, I don't recall even any being anything being like an attempted funny line for him to deliver. Sure. You know, like little little things of like a prop in the background that he's using, like putting the top on top of the mountain to resemble the cone heads. I'm sure back in those days where it was a little bit more of the uh, more of a variety than just comedy show, it was probably more to the strengths of back then. Sure. And uh, Jimmy Buffett, broken leg and all. Um, did you enjoy his performance? Not, not exactly my style, but I did kind of enjoy the song. But really what took me about it is the the difference in the set that they would provide for the musicians back then. Like Jimmy mm. was there, he did the song, but they had this whole beach layout with a, like a freaking canoe and everything brought yeah. in there for him, where I'm just so used to the more modern where, yeah, uh, like say like the nineties where there's a scaffolding set up and like a, like stairs in the background and just generic. Where, yeah, they've been dabbling with that a bit in season three. It wasn't something that was too too common throughout, but uh, lately it's been uh, it's been popping up a bit more, and it's not something I'd ever really noticed before. But yeah, you're making a great point. When Willie Nelson was there, they had a barn. You know, it certainly doesn't stick around, but it's a nice touch for some of these performers. Gary Tigerman, just a quick bit in there. Um, also, uh, I don't know if if this was communicated, but he also wrote the song that Richard Dreyfus sang at the end. Did that leave any impression with you? His first song was kind of a, uh, like, I, I I watched this episode, like, uh, two and a half times to do up my comments. And so it was about three times I listened to his first song and just kind of, all right, you know, nothing, nothing really singing to me about it. Uh, yeah. And then the, the second one, not too bad. I could see, like, there was, uh, like, some a good sense of humor in there. Richard Dreyfus says he doesn't sing, but I don't mm-hmm. think he did a too bad job of it. And I, I probably wouldn't have it on my Spotify list, but, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun little piece. Yeah, he did all right there. So uh, we're, we're pretty much on the same page with everything um, so far. So let's see how uh, how things went. So what was your worst sketch of the night? Uh, the worst sketch? I think I might be kind of at a tie here. With a with a couple of them, like uh, the lounge singer, I just found more annoying than anything. But I do mm-hmm. love that. I'm, I know I'm going to say the name wrong. Uh, just something about the beat of uh, Ava Nagila, you know, something mm-hmm. about that always appeals to me. Yep. But uh, I didn't really enjoy that one too much. The sex test one. Don't know. It seems like that was maybe something they threw together. Like, oh crap, we still got like seven minutes to fill in this episode here. Somebody. Somebody slapped something together that we weren't able to use in season two. So if I was to hold your feet to the fire and say you have to give me one, which one would it be? Lounge singer. That's going to be a hot cake for some. Nick the lounge singer. Uh, always popular with most folks. Just for the record, uh, mine was that talk show, the David Susskind. And Matt went with Weekend Update on this one. The best sketch of the night. I actually kind of like the uh, the talk show. That was a tough pick for me because uh, Jane was so friggin' good in it, <laughs> as was Dan. Yeah, I found uh, I liked the parody of uh, Kissinger, where every question they ask, there is an answer that somebody would accept yeah. as a prop answer. But like when you actually listen to the their follow-on statements, for it's like, yes, okay, they are giving an answer, but it is not an answer. Yeah, which was. Very much well, Kitzinger. 
not very yeah not very far from the source material yeah i thought jane Curtin was uh, really funny like her her impression was uh better than i thought her impression was better than dan Aykroyd's. <laughs> yeah and no, that, uh just that's a very very popular one with me uh and i know you you remember tom snyder from back in the day you know, I didn't. I didn't find uh, Leon Spinks and his mother that funny. But it, re rewatch it and take just the look of uh, Gilda Radner's face. Yeah, when she's introduced, and she's she got that toothless grin on, and mm-hmm. she just look, she looks punchy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, the apple <laughs> the apple not falling far from the tree is what I think they're trying to. <laughs> yeah, communicate yeah, there. Yeah. Just look at, the look on her face, I was like, you know, that was probably my favorite, probably my biggest laugh of the entire episode. Right? So if you were to pick a, a star of the night, if there's one person that, that stood out a bit more than the others for you, who would you pick? Uh, you know, I might have to give it to uh, Gilda. Good choice. Like, uh, like she did that face. I normally don't find her that weekend update character too funny. Yeah. When she was doing that, uh, that eye goop thing to Jane Curtin, she couldn't, Jane couldn't contain herself during it. Yeah. Like where she was, she was side splitting with it. I, I thought that was pretty funny, but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd still give it to her if it was a, another stronger episode. It probably would have gone to somebody else, but I, yeah, I give her the big points for it. Yeah, no, Matt and I both went with Jane on this one, but I think Matt was struggling between Jane and Gilda. So finally, uh, score out of ten uh, for the whole episode. Okay, like I'm still getting a little bit caught up with some of the uh, what the curve would be. For back then, if if I had to take a stab at it, I would probably put this maybe around like three and a half, four out of out the of potential 10? that they had in those days. Out of ten, yeah. Out of ten, okay. So four, three and a half. Which one are you gonna go with? I'll go. I'll go with. Uh, I'll be nice. Four. Okay. Matt gave it a seven point five. I gave it an eight out of ten. We enjoyed this a lot more than you did. I think. Oh, you guys are a little bit more familiar with uh, like what what the standard was for those days too. For sure, yeah. So with my 8, Matt's 7.5 in year 4. It averages out at a 6.5. This one, uh, the IMDb ranked this one as 11th of the season and 145th of all time. Probably closer in line with where Matt and I are sitting, which is rare. Because Matt's usually more in your neighborhood for stuff, for for scores. But uh, yeah, 6.5 is not bad for this season at all. So, yeah, Kev, I just want to thank you for uh, popping in tonight and, uh, and and helping us fill out this uh, this bit for the Richard Dreyfus episode. Oh, anytime. And you're also doing the, the extras this summer. We're going through season one's uh, sketches and picking our favorite and also the Gary Weiss films. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks very much, Kev. And back to me and Matt from a couple of weeks ago. Matt, I won't get a reaction from you out of something that hasn't been recorded yet. Uh, we don't have that kind of magic. But uh, next week is the final episode of season three. Do you know who's hosting, Matt? Uh, no, they didn't mention during the credits. Do advise. It is Buck Henry. Hey, Buck All right, the eh? Stuff. I, you know what? I always, you know, it's stuck in my head from the 90s. Buck the Stuff. But for some reason, <laughs> Buck the Stuff is uh, it, it's like also linked in my head. I'd rather think of Buck Henry than Marcus Bagwell anyway. <laughs> And musical guest, someone I hadn't heard of before, and uh, I'm now really interested to watch, Sun Ra. Do you know Sun Ra? 
I am a little bit familiar with Sun Ra. He oh. comes up on my Spotify algorithm pretty frequently. Uh, I would say I am at least a casual. I'm a casual fan of Sun oh, Ra. Cool. I couldn't name two albums, but I have heard, I think, more of Sun Ra's music than the average bear in 2023. Often listed alongside Captain Beefheart as the weirdest uh, musical guest on in SNL history. We got a Beefheart coming up? Yeah, yeah. Season six. Yeah. I forgot. I love Beefheart. It's going to be an interesting one when we get there so much (laughs) season six is going to be so fun but we still have two one episode and two seasons to go before we get to six so matt thanks very much we're going to be back in about a week with final episode of season three we're gonna make it man we're getting there we're getting there a 46 to go (laughs) so matt and i'll be back in about a week with buck henry and sun Ra. but until then We'll be going out and buying her a nice gift here in SN Health.